I, I still standing here now I still do not understand how like it just it just doesn't make sense and I'd love to know why I'd love to know that answer which is why I came back here originally because I wanted to remember just there's a, there's just a missing puzzle piece I guess imagine waking up and realizing you're in hospital you can feel bandages you can't feel certain parts of your body and you have no idea how or why you got there. Almost all of the rescues that the RNLI are called to take place on the water, from inland freshwater locks to the big open sea. But sometimes they don't involve water at all, but they evolve into emergencies that need the specialist skills of RNLI volunteers. This is exactly the kind of rescue that Gemma needed. Two years ago, Gemma was cycling on the coastal path along the clifftops of her local beach. It's the last thing she remembers before waking up and learning that she'd fallen 100 feet to the bottom of the cliff. So, what happened? I'm Jasmine and you're listening to Lifesavers, the podcast from the RNLI. Gemma and I met at the end of last year. And with her permission, we went back to the cliffs where her accident took place. That's where you join us today, while we take a windy walk. I haven't been back here for ages. When was the last time you came here? Um, probably about four months ago. How did that feel? Um, yeah, it, 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 felt, it felt fine. It felt, the only thing I did think was... Um, Wow, like I, I stood at the top here, away from the edge, and I was like, "How, how did you do? How did you make such a mistake?" Because I still now, even looking at it, I don't see how I made that mistake. Um, it's, yeah, I don't know, because um, this is exactly where I fell off, um, and I stood at the bottom of the cliff, um, and I felt, I felt nothing. I only have good memories. Um, so I just thought, looked up and I went, how did you survive? It feels weird being back here, but equally, I would get on a bike. I wouldn't get on a bike and cycle along this path, but I would happily like yeah. still cycle on the cycle path. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel anything, really. Yeah. I've only got good memories. Um, I I still, standing here now, I still do not understand how. Like, it just, it just doesn't make sense. And I'd love to know why. I'd love to know that answer, which is why I came back here originally, because I wanted to remember. I feel like you learn from your mistakes, and yes, I've learned from my mistakes, a very hard lesson, but just there's, there's just a missing puzzle piece, I guess. Mm. Um, but they have said, you won't, you won't ever remember. Um, you, it's your, the way your, your brain is actually pr- protecting you. Before the accident happened, we need to go back to the summer of 2020, when Gemma had just moved to the coast. As a born and bred Londoner, she was keen for a change, especially as the UK were experiencing their first year of intermittent lockdowns. Let's talk about before you got here. You lived in London, right? Yeah, so... Did you grow up there? Yep, so I grew up in London. Um, I've always been a country girl... Uh, like the outdoor sort of space and sea, I've always liked the sea. Um, so I 
always knew that I, I did often like go for weekends and things like out of London. So yeah, I that's and then lockdown unfortunately happened. Yeah. Um, and for financial reasons, uh, as well as actually, it was nice just to get away from London. London wasn't easy in lockdown. Mm. Um, I needed somewhere that was. Uh, yeah, which was cheap enough rent, to be honest with you. Yeah. Purely a financial reason, but the fact that it was... I live five minutes from the sea, walk. Um, good transport links back to London. Yeah. Um, so I just thought for, for maybe a year or two, have a break away um, before maybe you decide what you kind of want to do. So I plan to get a job here, join a football team, because I used to play football twice a week. Yeah, I knew that I could start enjoying long walks, cycling, and all the things that, that I love. Getting on her bike has always been one of Gemma's favourite hobbies, whether riding around the city or taking on a bigger cycling challenge. So wherever she was going to live, her bike was coming with her. I've always loved cycling from, to be honest, as long as I can remember, since about three. We'd go out on weekends for bike rides, typically in London in Richmond Park and places like that. Gorgeous. Um, I did the London to Brighton cycle ride only three years ago. Um, so the I think it's 54 miles. Yeah. Um, did it in six hours. Absolutely loved it. And it was torrential rain that day. Wow. Um, so I loved. I always loved cycling. So my bike was definitely going to be packed. But obviously there's a massive difference from cycling in London. You, feel, you do feel a lot safer. That summer, Gemma came to view a flat right next to the sea and loved it so much that she put a deposit down straight away. I signed the flat because they did have... It, was a lo- it is a lovely flat, and um, they had other viewings the next day, so I basically had to make a decision, and my tenancy had it, was ending. In, so I kind of had to make that a little bit of a rush decision. What I was still, it that swayed it for you to sign the papers that day? Uh, the rent. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really nice... It is, it's a lovely flat. Um, but the rent was <laughs> yeah was the big the big uh, deciding factor. But I I did have a little walk along the sea. I was I know that I can be happy here. And yes, I thought my life was going to go in a very different direction. Get a job, meet friends here, start building a life as as you do wherever you kind of move. Sure. Um, and then I moved. I think it was two weeks later. So it was it was all systems go. <laughs> After moving in, Gemma quickly settled into her new, quieter life away from London. And she was enjoying the last of the summer on her two wheels, with less traffic and less noise on the surrounding roads. That was part of the reason why I took my eye off the ball in some ways that I didn't... um, I didn't put a helmet on, because I felt like you're by the sea, you're relaxed, you're, you're not on a busy road at all. And I, yeah, I think I was too relaxed almost because a helmet is always better to wear than not, um, regardless of where you're cycling, you should. Um, but I was just too... Re- I, I did initially feel like when I first moved here, I was kind of on, like, on holiday. Yeah, um, the I can see that. holiday kind of period. So I think when anyone's kind of on holiday, they even more take the... Yeah, not... I don't know, take the... I don't know, take you relax, the, don't yeah, you? Yeah, just relax and you might not think as carefully as maybe you should. So the day of the accident, 18th of August? Yep, 18th of August, 2020. What was the day like that day? Was it sunny? It was a beautiful sunny day. It was about 25 degrees. Not 
not a cloud really in the sky so it was one of those stunning days that makes you think you want to get out your flat and go to the beach and get on your bike which is exactly what I did. With the August sun out in force that Tuesday Gemma was taking her time. She was cycling slowly enjoying the view. She rode for around four miles, stopped for an ice cream, topped up her sun cream and then turned around to come back home. Can I ask what the last thing is that you remember when you were driving, when you were cycling down here? I remember feeling very relaxed. Um, I was, my flat was pretty much by that point, kind of boxes were unpacked and I was just enjoying, I was just going to take, as COVID was still, um, cases were starting to rise and things again at that point. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I was going to just enjoy a little bit of time just to kind of get used to where I'm living. And um, I don't really remember anything after that. I know I was on my way home and that's kind of kind of it, really. To avoid the uphill cycle path that's closer to the main road, Gemma had taken her bike along the flatter, quieter footpath on the cliffs. When she fell from its 100-foot height, Members of the public quickly dialed 999 and helicopter rescue teams, the Coast Guard and volunteer lifeboat crews were immediately on scene to help. I want to pause the story here to find out what happens when an RNLI lifeboat volunteer is paged to such a severe medical emergency. How would their skills be able to help in a rescue that's out of the water to a near-fatal cliff fall like Gemma's? I think if I hadn't been a lifeboat volunteer, I wouldn't know where to start. Um, I think I would probably look at somebody and go and, and almost take that step back. Mm. Um, but even now, if I see somebody out in public and somebody takes a fall, I'm almost that person stepping forward because I feel I can and I've got something to offer. That's Dave, who's been a volunteer RNLI crew member for over 25 years. He knows that when the call for help comes to an emergency like this, it takes more than medical training alone to get a person to safety. Nothing almost prepares you for the real thing. However, the training we have is absolutely brilliant. We've got casualty care training courses. We do refreshers. So it can prepare you for a certain amount. It can prepare you through the procedures, how to put a bandage on, how to put a neck collar on. But emotionally, to see somebody in fear, in pain, nobody can teach you how to deal with that. As a crew, you talk about it, you debrief it, you make sure you did everything right. And it's a, you understand it's a team effort and you're in it together. Did you have any prior medical experience or skills before you became a lifeboat volunteer? So before I joined the online, no medical training. Um, I think I might have done uh, first aid at work. I'm trying to cast my mind back. It's 26 years ago now. But no, no real medical training. And it's been through, uh, as, a, as a newer crew member at the time, you watch and learn others. And then you go and get trained on a casualty care course yourself. The main thing about being a lifeboat crew is having the enthusiasm and wanting to help people. I think they're the two main things. And the other skills the RNLI gives you, it's not just having the casualty care skills, but it's having the way to communicate with people and keep them calm. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you as a lifeboat volunteer sounds stressed or worried, that will straight away go across the casualty. And sometimes not knowing what you're going to be faced with, it could be quite gruesome if, the, if that's the right word um, mm. but you just deal with it um, I don't like dealing with cuts on myself but give me somebody else I'm absolutely fine. So what would the lifeboat crews training set them up for when they arrived on scene 
And how could they save Gemma's life? What would they have to do? I asked RNLI casualty care trainer, Emma. Cliff fall um, incidents can be difficult. The first thing they do um, is they make sure that it's safe to approach. Um, so they just have a look at the environment, they have a look at the casualty themselves and they have a good look around because they've got to protect themselves. If they don't protect themselves, they can't save anyone else's life. So that's the first thing they do is they check for dangers. They're going to look at the cliff face and see if they make sure there's no danger of any cliff fall onto them. Next, uh, so providing it safe to, they would approach the casualty and we, we recommend they do it in at least twos. Um, and then they would see how responsive the casualty is. So they'd um, try and figure out whether the casualty is alert. We, they would see if they're responding to voice. Um, so if they're not alert, say they might be lying there with their eyes closed, they'd approach the casualty and start talking to them loudly um, and try and get their attention that way. If they don't think the casualty is responding to their voice, they would then see if the casualty is responding to a painful stimulus, which involves um, sort of giving them a good hard tap on the shoulders, basically, and making sure, um, just seeing if they uh, respond to that painful stimulus. They would then decide from that whether the casualty is what we call big sick or little sick. So big sick means this person is extremely unwell. They need to be um, in a hospital ASAP. Um, the way we really teach it is this person, without um, sort of rapid medical input, is at risk of losing their life. Whereas a little sick casualty, um, their life isn't immediately in danger. So does a lifeboat volunteer decide that someone is a big sick purely if the casualty is responding to the sound of their voice or that painful stimulus? The response level isn't just, isn't the only way they, they work out whether someone's big sick or little sick. There's actually three what we call big sick markers um, to which help them uh, figure out how unwell our casualty is and that's response level what the casualty's breathing rate is so how quickly they're breathing and also what their capillary refill time is it's basically if you push the skin on your forehead um you push the blood out of the capillaries if you let go of it um you're looking at how quickly that blood returns to that area um, and you can use those three things to decide whether your casualty is big sick or little sick um, and that really helps the crews understand um you know just kind of what kind of situation they're dealing with really early on unresponsive, an abnormal breathing rate and a slow capillary refill rate. That's how long it takes the blood to flow back into places like your forehead if you push it with your thumb. Those three things, coupled with many visual injuries, told the lifeboat volunteers that Gemma was a big sick and without hospital attention was at risk of losing her life. There was absolutely no time to lose the volunteer crews had to carefully get Gemma to specialist care at a London hospital. And just a word of warning, in this next bit, Gemma describes her injuries. When did you wake up again? Um, six days after the accident, I was put in an induced coma uh, for six days. I had a broken skull, um, depressed skull fracture, as well as jaw injuries and so there was the many the life-saving operations had already happened um but as i was uh very agitated because there was a lot of swelling and um that's the decision was made to kind of after those surgeries keep me kind of in an induced coma to let everything rest for the best possible chance of um being as okay as possible afterwards um and i do then i remember waking up and I looked at my hands because I had two casts on both hands 
and I remember asking what happened, where am I, <laughs> um, was thoroughly confused, could feel a massive bandage around my head as well as lots of drains and, and, and everything. Um, Were you alone? Yeah, because of Covid as well you weren't allowed um, much visitors at all, it was very very reduced. Um, so there was a nurse there, so I was still in intensive care, so she was um, there to kind of to tell me what had happened and I didn't believe her. She said you had a cycling accident um, and you, you cycled off um, a very high cliff and I don't think she gave me the, the number at that point um, of how high it was. I think she was trying to keep me as calm as possible. Um, so yeah, so I, I was alone but she was a very, very lovely nurse. Um, I then asked could I get up? But yeah, I didn't believe her at all. I said no, 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 that couldn't have happened, couldn't have happened. Um, I didn't really remember at that precise moment that I'd moved out of, I still thought I'd lived in London as well. So I was, there was a, a lot of confusion. Gemma stayed in intensive care at the hospital for an entire month. And though she miraculously survived the fall, she sustained some devastating injuries that have completely changed her life. The accident caused multiple skull fractures that have indented Gemma's face. They also caused her to lose her sight in her right eye. The impact broke and dislocated her jaw so she can no longer eat any form of solid foods or even open her mouth wide enough to take a pain relief tablet. Gemma broke ribs, her right wrist and she shattered her left elbow meaning she'll never be able to lift anything heavier than a bag of apples ever again. I can't look after myself in an easy way getting dressed, um, looking after my home changing bedding so I had to do ev I learnt to tie my shoelaces with one hand change my bedding with one hand everything washing um, you don't realise how much you need two hands and still I find things difficult opening a, a lid with a seal on it I find very difficult you need you do use two hands more than luckily I'm right handed and the elbow injury is um, my left um, elbow but I now have worked out what I can do, what I can't do, and I just, I try my best to look at the things you can do, but often it's easy, isn't it, to look at the things you can't yeah. and get overwhelmed with that. But unfortunately, my hair did have to be shaved um, off um, because obviously I had to access um, my, my skull. Um, so I've had a, an amazing wig charity um, who gave me two amazing 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 wigs and the lady who does it used to be a hairdresser she's she's given that up purely to give her own time she works with the little princess trust foundation which obviously helps younger people i think it's below 25 so unfortunately as i'm 29 i didn't fit in they couldn't help me i actually did donate i had a little bit of hair at the back a ponytail and i did donate that to the little princess trust it was just within their length um requirements how long was your hair before it got shaved um, it was middle of my back, so it was it was long. long. It was it was long hair, and I miss my hair. My appearance has changed because there is a, a large indent over my temple area, um, off the right side of my face, and I just want people to see me as the old me. So I haven't been ready for a year. I haven't. Um, I've kind of withdrawn from um, seeing anyone. Somebody can say, you still look like Gemma to me, you still sound like Gemma to me, but it's... You want to feel it. I want to feel it, and at the moment, I don't.
I am very scared to think um, of my future, even just that alone. Um, for going to restaurants with friends, it's going to be very different. Um, whether my jaw continue, even though it's only just open, it was, it still is getting smaller and smaller. So will I even be able to take liquids at some point? That's an unknown. You can't just go to a restaurant with friends or you're going to have to look at it like extremely positively and be able to do it, but be able to sit and maybe order something, but not eat it and just kind of, I don't know, move around. To be honest, that, that scares me. Also a fear of kind of missing out. Mm. Like, I feel like I'm not going to, necessarily maybe wouldn't be as easy for a friend to say oh let's just go to a restaurant and I don't want to miss out on things and maybe not get invited to things and that is a that's a fear of mine. I used to work in childcare from the age of in fact from the age of 16 I started babysitting um, and I used to go from school literally from school and babysit each evening and um, with a family and then I um, through college doing my diploma in childcare, went to college, went and looked after us for, like each evening, just bath time, bedtime, weekends would babysit. I love children. I still do love children, so that's not changed. But um, I like the ones or twos, but there's obviously a lot of lifting within that age yeah. group and I'm not allowed to do that. So childcare isn't not in the way I've worked in nurseries and as nannies. Um, but that's why I need to, so I've had to look at my life from lots of yeah. different points of view. I can't go back into what I, what I know um, and equally, my CV only shows that. So, worries me. Is it going to be a, I don't know, job a bit harder to get because I don't have any other skills? I remind myself on the the darker days that you're alive, and you're not only alive. You've got to make this life count. You've got to do something, and you've got to do it well, and also help as well. As Gemma navigates life after her accident, she's been inspired to do something amazing to give back by using her experience to help others. She's chosen to join the RNLI as a face-to-face -face fundraiser. As a charity that completely relies on donations, Gemma's sharing her story with the public to help raise vital funds for the RNLI and help lifeboat crews launch to more people who need help, just like they did for her. Fundraising is something very new for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very new. But I am good at talking, which <laughs> I guess comes 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 into handy. And I'd like to use, I genuinely would like to use my experience. I just don't want anyone else to go through yeah. what I have. When I saw the crew outside the station, um, it was a number of months after um, the accident, and they were doing their Sunday training session um, it was the end of volunteers week as well and actually it was very lucky that I stopped the two people that, that came out and helped me who were, gave me that very first bit of first aid um, and thank you did not feel like enough like I didn't know what to I didn't know what to say because thank you just just is it isn't and it still isn't enough how did you but, feel seeing those people and realizing that they were there on that day it felt very overwhelming mm. um, I don't think I showed that, <laughs> yeah. but it really, it genuinely felt, and it just felt like you kind of wanted to, to kind of grab them and give them a big hug. Mm. And I do, I don't doubt for a second that if I was not given the care that I was initially given, put in that helicopter, I believe it was within 30 minutes, which is incredible. Um, and 
flown off to London. My injuries, I, I, they could have been even worse than, than what they are. There, we even have like a service like that that can come out and even when, at the end of the day, I shouldn't have been cycling where I was cycling and still people who are volunteers came out, used their own time and, and had a massive impact. So thank you doesn't feel like enough. It may not have been the fresh start that Gemma originally planned for herself, but her incredible attitude, infectious positivity and kind generosity to want to help others after her accident is shaping a really exciting future. I'm hoping I might swim one day. Mm-hmm. Because it probably will be good for my body in general. Um, swimming is good. Um, and get back out there on a paddleboard, because I was on a paddleboard just a week before my accident. And start running again. Mm-hmm. So... Be outside, basically, I think, because being outside makes me happy. Do you feel proud of yourself? Today I'd say yes. Yeah, today I feel proud because, yeah, we're, we're here, we're, yeah. we're talking about it. Um, you are very lovely, and I hadn't met you before, and that's a huge thing for me, to meet people because of my face that bothers me that much. It's actually a big thing for me. So that in itself is actually a, quite a big step. Um, so yeah, today I feel proud and I'd like to obviously, I don't know, help in any way and that's why I wanted to do this because if it can help and and help the RNLI continue to do what they do do not just for people like me on a bike, not out at sea but obviously there are so many examples of what the RNLI do and I'd like, yeah, to continue for, for people to want to help the RNLI but also to kind of not let anyone else go through what I have. It was my own stupidity, my own fault this accident happened. So that's also been a hard kind of thing to kind of accept because it could have been avoided. It 100% could have been if I'd have stuck to that cycle path. I wouldn't, wouldn't be where I am now, but equally, maybe my life has changed for a reason. Mm. And I'm not normally that type of person to kind of think, think like that, but there will be positives from this. Um, there already are helping to fundraise from the RNLI. Would I ever have thought I'd have been doing a job like that before? Mm-hmm. No. Did I even know what the RNLI was? Yeah. I'd heard of the RNLI. Didn't know anything about them. Maybe there are huge positives from this accident because I now know that I can I can deal with a lot. Mm-hmm. Mentally and physically. Yeah, you know how strong you are. And yeah, also that... I've not changed. I am realistically. I know deep down. I've got the same personality as I did. I'm. St- I'm just Gem. Yeah. I'm me. And you're great. I have to say that <laughs> Gem is great. <laughs> hey, I. I like hearing. It's nice to have a compliment, isn't it? There honestly aren't enough compliments I can give Gemma. Being in her company was so inspiring for so many reasons. Not only is she a warm-hearted, positive person, as I'm sure you'll agree from hearing our chat, but she is so generous. She was happy to take me back to the place where her accident happened. She was willing to share the reality of how her life has completely changed. And she genuinely wants to inspire people to support the RNLI so that these volunteers can continue launching to people who need their help, whether it's in or out of the water. So thank you so much, Gemma. You're one in a million and I'm so lucky to have met you. Remember, whether you're cycling or walking by the coast, 
Always check the local information of the area, including the tide times. Use the designated cycle or footpaths and, if you're on a bike, don't forget to wear a helmet, even if you're not planning on cycling near roads. If you've been inspired by this incredible story, why not find out how you could become someone's lifesaver? Find all the information you need about supporting the RNLI or becoming a face-to-face fundraiser yourself in the links in the episode notes. Thank you for listening to Lifesavers, presented and produced by me, Jasmine, and Adventurous Audio Limited.